0: Off top, the NFL Final Four is going to be. I should actually know who they are. What did I write down? (laughs) Use all of these. Don't use all of them. Just the funny ones. Three, two, one. Off top, the Super Bowl is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Final Four is going to be the Ravens and the 49ers. That about that. It's Dominique Foxworth show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth show. The very first one, my man, Charlie Kravitz is here to help me get to the good stuff. So not much time for pleasantries. This was hard. Me picking my final four in my Super Bowl picks was almost impossible because I feel like there's 12. I made a list. There's 12 teams. That I would not be surprised they won the Super Bowl. And then there's four teams that I feel like could win the Super Bowl, but I'd be kind of shocked. And I don't know that there's ever been like that much parity's not the word, because there are plenty of trash teams, but at least parody at the top, competitiveness and with the like randomness of single elimination tournaments, like what we saw last year. I could see the Colts being the Bengals of last year. But what you got, Charlie, who you got in the final four? And I didn't pick a winner for a reason because I'm a coward. But who you got in
1: the the number one thing I think about the league coming into this year is that the parity is between conferences. And that's sort of where the cluster bleep of all of this is. (laughs) It's because, like, I don't really like anyone in the NFC. I kind of like some teams in some situations, but I like pretty well, I shouldn't say pretty much everyone. I like a lot of teams in the AFC. And that's what makes it complicated, because I, I I think you could take uh, the teams that I in the AFC could see winning the Super Bowl, Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, Bills, Bengals, Ravens, mm-hmm. all of those would be at the top of my list of favorites if they're in the NFC, but that's just not how it works. And I know that some of those teams might not actually even be good because of their division of their conference. And that's what makes it complicated.
0: Yeah, I I endeavored to like think of a time in the NFL that was like this, and there never was. And it feels like the same is true of basketball, where I feel like there's never been this much talent in the NBA. There's never been this many like franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. I feel like we were stretching for franchise quarterbacks in the past, and people were trying to convince themselves how they can build a team around a mediocre to bad quarterback. But That's not the problem for, at least in the AFC. Like you mentioned, there's a few NFC teams that have great quarterbacks or have really good quarterbacks, but do not have the infrastructure around them to win a championship. But did I shock you? Did I surprise you at least with any of my picks? Like, I feel like I might be out on a limb a little bit.
1: The one that I'm a little bit... Is is the Ravens? Obviously, to me, they're really? they're the candidate to go from worst to first in the division. Like, I think they're going to be very cheating,
0: Though, like, I, I looked at that and I was like, you it's, can't pick the Ravens as going from worst to first because like they were ravaged by injuries. They're not actually going to get better. They're just going to get healthy.
1: And totally anomalous that they were not actually that good last year. But I also just like it's hard for me to imagine this team and this offense that we've seen over the last couple years going into a playoff game and beating Patrick going into Buffalo and beating Josh Allen. And that's like, that's the hang-up for me of them in the final four is because they're going to probably have to beat one of those two teams to get there.
0: Yeah. And uh, you said going into that's, that's the difference I guess, because the chiefs did come to Baltimore last year and mm-hmm. Baltimore won. Uh they had, uh, what was that three years ago where they had that, really like epic showdown in Kansas city that frankly, just like last year's game could have gone either way. That game could have gone either way. It's not playoffs. Maybe that makes things a little bit different. I got you on that one. They did beat, uh, or I mean, they played the bills close and lost to them uh, because Lamar threw that red zone interception. That was catastrophic. But yeah, I mean, I guess I, it feels like maybe it's a bit of a long shot, or not a long shot, but I understand where you're coming from. But I think I tried to insert a bit of randomness, if you can, into my selections and some interest. I fully expected you. I I guess I shouldn't be surprised. You're high on the Eagles too, huh? Like I was setting you up to be surprised by the Eagles, and then I was going to make my whole case for the Eagles, but it didn't even surprise you. The Ravens well, shocked you? No, no, so, the team so with the, the MVP the... quarterback shocked you? Well, the, here's the thing is the, the, the Eagles and the Ravens had the exact
1: opposite problems. So I look at the Ravens. And I'm like, wow, they're putting a lot of pressure on Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews to be playmakers for Lamar Jackson. And like, sure, you've got Isaiah, you've got Isaiah Likely there who, per training camp reports, basically in fantasy communities is being looked at like prime Rob Gronkowski. But I have no idea how good that offense is going to be around Lamar. You do. But I know about the Eagles. No, no. We're loaded around Jalen Hurts and I have no idea how good he is, but I know I know they're going to win
0: 12 games because the NFC stinks. And that's a huge part of it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to take you back to Lamar first. We'll get to Jalen Hurst in a second. You know how good the offense is going to be with Lamar because you know how good Lamar is. And yes, the modern era of football, you need a lot of pass catchers. But the Ravens don't play modern era football. It's just not the way that they do it. It's not drop back in the pocket and air it out. And I guess that's not fair. Everyone has athletic quarterbacks, but nobody has super athletes at quarterback like Lamar Jackson, who can also obviously pass the ball and attack the middle of the field with play action like no other. So that's, that gives me confidence as long as, long as Lamar is healthy, that offense is going to be good. You forgot like they get Dobbins back healthy to improve that running attack. It, the defense is very talented. The one, I guess weakness on the defense is they don't have pass rushers, but there are a couple things that are kind of, Like, gotta-haves, in my view, in football, and one of them is secondary play. Like, if you're going to make a deep run, I feel like you gotta have, like I said, there are some anomalies, because the Bengals certainly didn't have a great secondary, but the Ravens, you gotta have great secondary play. Offense, you gotta have great offensive line, and then figure it out, or not great, but good offensive line, and figure it out around that. The fact of the matter is, Lamar Jackson makes all offensive lines good. He's, well, yeah that's my question about this and, and like, okay,
1: explain this to me and my dumb meatball brain of why I shouldn't be slightly concerned about Lamar Jackson coming into this year, because the infrastructure around him is, isn't as great offensively. Um, and then if I'm looking at his raw counting stats, I'm seeing the touchdowns going, going down and interceptions, not going down with it. And sometimes going up like they did last year. Like I know his yards per attempt went up. I know his completion percentage stayed in the mid sixties, but like, Am I not right to be concerned that he is not as efficient of a football player as he was two years ago when he won the MVP?
0: Nobody's as efficient as he was two years ago when he won the MVP. I mean, I feel like expecting Josh Allen to be as good as he was last year isn't fair. Expecting uh, Patrick Mahomes to be as good as he was his 50 touchdown season, um, his second year, his first year as a starter is not fair. Expecting Lamar Jackson to repeat his MVP caliber season is not fair. I think it is what frustrates me. And and this is possibly a bit of my own personal bias leaking into my selections is what frustrates me about the conversation around Lamar Jackson is it's as if no other quarterbacks have questions. Like Lamar Jackson has questions. Yeah. He's not perfect. Nobody is. We saw Patrick Mahomes fall apart in the second half. Like we can't blame that loss uh, that Kansas city had, in the championship game on anybody more than we can Patrick Mahomes. So I guess it's not fair to say that there's questions around Patrick Mahomes. That's me being a bit hyperbolic, but in general, all quarterbacks are imperfect. Uh, Lamar Jackson's imperfections seem to carry way more weight in the minds of many people just because he does it slightly differently, which like, I know it gives, there are some limitations. If you can't drop back in the pocket and pick defensive part, that puts some limitations on your offense. He is not going to be Dan Marino, but he does everything else so well. And we talk about, this is another thing that frustrates me generally is the concept of players that make everyone around them better. It's like overblown in general, like the idea that Tom Brady was in New England, his final year in New England, and they didn't have enough around him, and we thought Tom Brady was cooked. He went down to Tampa, he had everything around him, and he's putting up MVP numbers again. I mean, my point is that everybody needs a little help, except for Lamar Jackson. Like, he's kind of the only player in football that makes the defense better, that makes the O-line better, makes the running backs better, makes it easier for the receivers to get open. And the tight end, but, go ahead. I see you. Looking-
1: but, no, but but that's why I don't think they're going to end up in the final four, and that's where my questions lie: is the fact that I do think Lamar he might make everyone else better. I think he would be even better if he had pieces around him that made him more comfortable, and that's like, and and the other the other thing that I, I want to push back on, of course, you know, there's always coded BS criticism of Lamar Jackson, but the other thing that I I think is like fair criticism of Lamar Jackson where the questions come from. Is he's the youngest MVP in league history? He's rare air. He's Dan Marino. He's Peyton Manning. He's Patrick Mahomes. And like when you enter that conversation that young, the expectations for me are: you start winning Super Bowls, you keep playing an MVP level every year, and that's that's not fair. But that's just like what that's
0: of, that's of the all level those names, that reach. of all you na- of all the names that you named. Only one of them actually won a Super Bowl early. Like one of them never won one, and then one was kind of viewed as a postseason kind of flop until he won a Super Bowl and then went to Denver and won another on the strength of the defense. I just generally think Meatballs that, like
1: me will never remember
0: that. We'll never I mean, remember exactly. that.
1: he's a choker until he's not in my meatball yeah,
0: It's it's frustrating to listen to this around Lamar Jackson. And I I'm certainly had no desire of turning this into uh Lamar Jackson apologist fest. So we can move off of that. I'm sure there'll be more time to have these discussions and debates later on. But I really I'm forcing you whether you want to or not. We're talking about Philly. Their roster is incredible. Their quarterback is average to above average, right? You would say that. The situation is outstanding. I think what what it comes down to when I look at my final four, I feel like I'm a sucker for institutional stability. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Like these are the teams that I feel like are stable and consistent uh regularly and like I, I mean I would throw the Colts in there too that's the reason why the Colts are kind of one of my teams that could well, hold, win the hold Super on for Bowl. a second because
1: this is something we've talked about not on this podcast but I think is important to talk about and that is when you say organizational stability I think coach that's like I think Andy Reid I think Kyle Shanahan like I know those offenses are gonna be good because they're coach but you mean general manager you mean the way yeah. the teams are built because Howie Roseman to me is is More the architect of the
0: Eagles compared to Nick Sirianni, and um, I mean the the I mean institutional from the top down all the way throughout the the organization. Ozzy Newsom is the example; like he's handed it over to DeCosta now to take over general manager. But Ozzy Newsom was the institutional stability across two ownership groups. The Ravens have never been bad. (laughs) <laughs> since they existed and drafted two Hall of Famers in the first round of his first draft, Ozzy got Ray and Ogden, right? I think for yeah. his two very first picks. And since then they've had a down year every now and then, but they've never been bad and also have never really, not really have never had a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know that you can name another organization that has had this type of long-term stability and success without having a hall of, hall of fame quarterback won a couple of super bowls again without having a hall of fame quarterback joe flacco was hall of fame level for, for one <laughs> that uh that super bowl <laughs> run he was lights out for that but that to me is what you can count on so while roster is incredibly important i think what what makes me make my decision i don't know what the exact hierarchy is it's like Roster, quarterback, institutional stability is the kicker. That's the thing. If I feel like I can trust you, your decision-making, your process, then I lean in on that. And you're right. How, Howie Roseman with the Eagles across two coaches now, and Nick Sirianni seems like he's growing into the job quite well. They are stable institution, and damn if they are not one of the most talented teams I've ever seen. Just Again, you know how I feel about secondary play. They got corners for days. And that is like a weak spot on every team is corner, just about. And they got it's corners, also, they got.
1: It's crazy to me that the Eagles entered the Raven zone. And I call this the Raven zone because of Ozzie Newsome. And that's basically that like they draft someone and everyone else goes, damn it how did they end up on that team and like obviously that happened with jordan davis in the first round but it also happened with kobe dean in the second round and it's like if you if you hit on high level starters and then you trade for a chauncey gardner johnson and you're you're basically adding three plus players off of the top that's when you enter the Ravens zone where it's like they can't keep getting away with this they can't keep getting guys that would start for every team
0: this, these Mid Atlantic birds are smarter than everybody else. So, like every position that you think about that is kind of important, they got guys there. Like they got two Pro Bowl level, maybe All Pro level offensive tackles, two Pro Bowl level corners. I mean, maybe three. Uh, they got D tackle Cox and Jordan, which who knows what he's going to be. They got uh, um, he's going to be big. Yeah, he's got to be big. That's Jordan Davis, the the monster from Georgia who moves like a linebacker, but is built like, I don't know, a monster, uh, Calais Campbell. I guess he's, he might be bigger than Calais Campbell. I don't know. But then they got two all pro level receivers or at least um, pro bowl level receivers and a quarterback who is comfortable in big situations, has athleticism to, to change uh, the count in the running attack can serviceably run the RPO and he's got a little bit of the thing that, uh, that like we hold against Lamar Jackson and that if you're down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and everyone knows you need to drop back, it's going to be harder for him to do it. He hasn't shown that ability to be consistently accurate in that. So the way that they got better last year, they got embarrassed in the playoffs against the bucks, but they seem like a team that uh, again, because of t- institutional stability, a team that I really like. I thought I was going to shock you with that pick. I'm disappointed that you agree with me. Did 49ers shock you? Are you are you low on Trey Lance? No, no. I'm on Kyle Shanahan. Institutional I'm sorry. stability. Like that's yeah. what it speaks to to me. They've had success uh, across several years with multiple quarterbacks. They have they have a strong roster and institutional stability. And you know about how there is no one player that can mix a team it's not basketball Uh, to me there's no bad team that can make a good quarterback like that's my love of trey lance is based on the fact that he has support and if you think about the quarterbacks who we all think about as the great quarterbacks even the all-time great quarterbacks or the guys who are great in a league right now we all think that they walked in great but so many of them walked into perfect situations and that allowed them to mature. I think Tom Brady is a perfect example of that. He was a six round pick, not because people didn't like how he looked with his shirt off. Six round pick because he wasn't that good. He didn't play that well yeah. in college. He got into a situation where the team was really good around him and it gave him time to grow. Same for Russell Wilson. Same for Patrick Mahomes. Like it's not a coincidence. Same for um Lamar Jackson. It's not a coincidence that this keeps happening to these guys. And I think Trey Lance, the reports out of their camp are not as good as I would like them to be, or at least not as high as I'd like them to be. But I think Trey Lance is next in line on the Kyle Shanahan conveyor belt of effective quarterback. So I, I feel really high on how well he's going to play in the, the bodies they got on that defense. I think that's really interesting. I feel better about so. The, Trey Lance
1: is fascinating because like, I play fantasy football. I think a lot of us podcast listeners play fantasy football and everyone wants Trey Lance in fantasy football because his you know, rushing numbers are going to be ridiculous. The offense is going to be ridiculous. But we really have no idea how good he has been because he has less tape and less experience than any quarterback we've ever seen yeah. being handed the starting job for a team that has been a perennial Super Bowl contender over the last four years and looks to be one again this year. But I do think this is like pretty illustrative of a of a bigger conversation because like I view this in certain ways the other way where there are exceptions, but for the most part, quarterbacks can resuscitate a franchise. Um, and, you know, the counterpoint, trying around, upset you, you know, Matt, Matthew Stafford in Detroit or Trevor Lawrence in in uh, Jacksonville, but. If we go back to my my beloved Peyton Manning, he took like a you know a dog water Colts team and made them great. The Patriots were like a laughing stock for you know. I guess they had they had a Super Bowl run through Bledsoe, but for decades they had been poor before Tom Brady. And like part of it to me is like, if the quarterback has the goods, it like fixes all of the stuff around them over, over time uh, I, because it's easier to build I'm, around. I that normally
0: guy. roll my eyes when you call yourself a meatball because you know more about sports than you give yourself credit for. But right now you are meatballing. Well, okay. I don't even know what meatball is. It's not terminology I use It's what you use, but it, <laughs> it like a rube. Is that the same sort of thing? Like yes, a fan kind of, cause I think you're right. It's true. If a player quarterback or not can, Carry a bigger load of the responsibility, it makes other people around him better. My point is in basketball, you drop a great player on a team that's worth a lot of wins and it changes the trajectory of your franchise. That's not how it works in football. And maybe I should give you some more time to do some research, but coming up with one person is not a defense, a rebuttal against my point that the organization stable organizations with talented players around a quarterback is probably more likely to produce a great quarterback I mean the same Dak Prescott fell into a perfect situation like that seems to be much more consistent than your idea which happens every year it's not a coincidence that the same teams feel like are at the top of the draft all the time and the Jets are always like well, maybe this is the guy it's not a coincidence to me because when you bring a quarterback into a bad situation it's going to bring him down more than it's going to bring you up
1: well this is actually fascinating because this is one of the things I'm most interested in in this season one of the storylines is second year quarterbacks um, and the reason I'm interested in that is we went into last year's draft thinking this was going to be like a generational quarterback draft Trey Lance broke his finger barely played Zach Wilson More infamous for his off the field behavior than his on the field behavior at this point. Uh, Justin Fields, maybe the worst situation in football. Trevor Lawrence was coached by um, someone who's also more famous for his off the field (laughs) behavior than his on the field (laughs) behavior. Well played. Mac Jones. Mac Jones is being coached by Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And, you know, Davis Mills might have been yeah, the best I, one last
0: year. I, I was hoping you left Davis Mills out so I could call you a meatball again and say, don't forget about Davis Mills. But the the Mac Jones point, we can talk about this, too. This is another thing that fires me up is how much, like, respect that people have for offensive coaches. Like, they really think that they are geniuses and that no one else can do it, and I am not as concerned about uh, him about uh, Mac Jones not having an offensive coordinator with a lot of offensive coordinating experience. But first, I'll stick on this question you asked. I guess you didn't ask a question, but the point you brought up about the second-year quarterbacks. Do you think that, how many of them was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, I guess if we're including Davis Mills. Do you think that they're all bad? I have no idea. Well, You don't know what I actually think.
1: Here's my actual take. And this is going to contradict what I said before. I think Trevor Lawrence is probably pretty good. Yes. Like everything exactly. we said was pretty good. It was the worst situation. It's
0: going to be uncomfortable. If this is the first episode of podcast, it's going to be really uncomfortable if you come with garbage <laughs> takes and then and then uh, re- retract them midway through the pod. Because, I mean, well, you the, know, I'm the, right. The,
1: but the, the question is, is like, do I think that any of them have 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 been good? not really yeah not really exactly. so far and like you know do i have? let's let's go down the list do i have any faith that trey lance is is good or bad no clue but i have faith that he's going to be good in kyle shannon's offense Boom. zach wilson probably going to be bad justin fields probably going to be bad Ooh. trevor lawrence Ooh. statistics probably going to be worse than he actually is mac jones probably going to be bad davis mills probably going to be bad
0: all right here's the question this is how i will solidify that i am right Fix my camera. You guys can see us on YouTube, too, if you're not already there. Um, Put Zach Wilson in San Francisco. How do you think he plays? Good. Justin Fields. Good. Trevor Lawrence. Really good. My point. Exactly. My point. Exactly. They got a great offensive line, a great running attack, a smart coach, and a great defense. As much as I love quarterbacks. point. you put Patrick Mahomes in Jacksonville. He's probably pretty good. No. He's, I mean, he'd be all right. Okay, put Patrick Mahomes as a rookie in Jacksonville. He'd be all right. Yeah. Like, either, I don't, we wouldn't be talking about him the way that we talk about him. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I'm convinced. The only, only person who, like, Davis Mills, he's like, he's the only one who like, made something out of nothing. I guess Justin Fields is, uh. Done a couple had a couple games where we were like, oh, that's impressive. He's really got I I think we might know something about Justin Fields by the end of this season. It's because yeah, there's... I agree. There is <laughs> he's in a tough, tough spot. They left that place ravaged and he's gonna do yes. what he can. Well, the
1: question with Justin Fields, too, and like by the way, you actually convinced me of your point. This isn't just acting for the podcast. I feel like I'm, I am I'm now much more swayed that situation is is matters more than you know, talent and certain things. Think about Justin Fields he might never get a chance to be good because yeah. he might actually have the David Carr scar tissue at the end of this. Like that situation is a dumpster fire in Chicago. And like he he actually might be someone who we never know is good or bad by the time his career is taken on a trajectory
0: where it's not fixable. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. I had no intentions of ending up here, but I get angry about a lot of things. Well, angry the wrong word, but like emotionally attached to things that I find... Quite offensive. And one of those things is like the general pushback against player empowerment. Cause Mm -hmm. Justin Fields should demand a damn trade. Like, if you imagine that about Lawrence last year, I agree. uh, Yeah. If you imagine, like, I am not those guys, but I've lived a life closer to them than most people. So imagine that you were eight years old and you're like, man, I want to be a Hall of Famer in the NFL. And you work your ass off and you get a scholarship and you win trophies, you win championships, you win Heisman's, you do all that. You get drafted in the first round. And then you have this is what got me so upset back when I said the Dolphins were tanking and everyone yelled at me and said I was lying because I called it unethical. That's what bothered me is this boils down to them not holding up their end of the bargain. When you sign a contract or when you go work for anybody, there's an implicit understanding that I'm going to give you my best effort as an employee. And you, I assume, are going to give your best effort to put me in a position to succeed. And when it feels like teams are not doing that, like that is why I understand there's no perfect situation, but that's why I i am not going to be like hard on people who like misuse the player empowerment because yeah, there's going to be some drawbacks. There is no perfect situation, but overall I like players to be able to have some power or more power over their careers, especially when they're being like drafted, which is something none of us would abide.
1: Yeah. I guess my pushback wouldn't be, wouldn't be really pushback, but it'd be like, I don't think the bears are tanking. I think they're just, in no, 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 I
0: agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. agree. Okay, that doesn't change anything in my view. I'm okay, sorry, I was tying a bunch of things about together, so I appreciate you bringing that up because it allows me to clarify. I do not think the Bears are tanking, I think that they are they have they don't have enough good players, and their cap is messed up. They did not draft and sign all that well, and now they're in a the position that they're in. But in general, like, none of that is Justin Fields' fault. Think about little five year old Justin Fields is looking. To be a champion, he wants to be an all-time great, and now he's all grown up and done everything he could do to get here, and your bad decision, not even anybody who's still in the building, bad decisions set him up to have his career squandered. Hold out, force a trade, call James Harden and get fat. Like I I would fully support that from Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. So Speaking of Trevor Lawrence, you expect him to have a bounce back here? Like, I... Well, so
1: the thing with Trevor Lawrence, I think it's interesting, is, like, and I would love to ask, I, I'd actually like to know your opinion on this, is I don't think that the roster is, like, you know, leaps and bounds better. Of course, skill position-wise, get Etienne back. You know, they signed Christian Kirk. Uh, whatever, whatever. But, like, the 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 jump going from, like, a clown show with Urban Meyer to at least a professional football coach with Doug Peterson, who made the most out of Carson Wentz and Nick Foles for a couple of years. Like those guys are not efficient quarterbacks. And they, you know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is much more efficient, but he has a skill set that at least mirrors them arm strength wise and, and risk taking wise of what we've seen over the last couple of years. Like I assume
0: he will be much better just by addition by subtraction of Urban Meyer. Right. I assume so also, and I hope so. I like Trevor Lawrence. I think he's really talented. I would hate for his career to be ruined by him landing in a bad situation. However, the institutional stability of the Eagles, the Frank Reichness of the Eagles, like are we giving Doug Peterson credit that he does not deserve? So I believe that he is an improvement over um, Urban Meyer because it'll be more like a professional organization. He will treat them closer to adults and with more respect and probably buy in more to the process than urban Meyer did. So that is an improvement. But as I was thinking about Trevor Lawrence, I was doing the same thing that you were doing, but I also remember that we were taking credit away from Doug Peterson and giving it to Frank Reich back when, when they were doing when I'm um, foals and Wentz were playing well. So I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. I don't know the staff that he has down there right now. We'll see, but it will certainly be an improvement. I don't know. I feel like we've already spent too much time talking about the Jags. Well, la- last thing on the Jags, Doug Peterson's
1: visor is perfect for North Florida. Well done. That is like a
0: perfect culture
1: fit. Magnificent. Uh, can't wait to see you in some, you know, Jaguars teal with a little gold visor on.
0: Well done. <laughs> um, I I did want to talk about the like. There's always anticipation of the teams that will get better that suck the last year and will be good or will be bad. You know what I mean? The teams that risers and fallers. So I looked and again about the league parody, it felt like the teams that were really bad have no hope, you know? And then there was a lot of teams like the Ravens or the Broncos who were last in their division. And it felt like I was cheating to pick them because yes, they're going to be much better. But the reason why is not like one of those risers. So I went with, the jags, the panthers and the giants as teams that could get better. I don't really see any of them making the playoffs though, so it may not be fun yeah. to talk about. But well, no, one... so go ahead.
1: I want to push back on a couple of those. And I'll, I'll let you give the reasons. Like I I'm with you on the jags just cuz the bottom was the bottom. Um but I do want to push back on the giants and the panthers. I'd love to know your reason why you think they're going to be going to be better cuz so, like I look at like a giants roster and I read trading camp reports that Kadarius Tony is already being treated like a, you know, 35-year-old can't get through practice because of injuries. Kenny Galladay can't run. Daniel Jones is bad. And, like, I don't I don't see the path forward. And then with the Panthers, I'm with you because, like, for me, it's like, did we just decide Baker
0: sucked when he's actually just mediocre? Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's the... the I'll go backwards and forwards. The, the Panthers roster is not bad. The Panthers roster, roster is pretty good. Um They had some really tough quarterback situations. I think the Baker Mayfield's upgrading them to mediocre and is like their hope. And so these were the teams that I thought could not teams that I think will, but I think that's the explanation. The easy explanation for that is a talented team, lots of impressive playmakers, offensively lots of young talent on the defensive side of the ball. And you add a quarterback who's like, who won't ruin you um, in the NFC and you could get better. And I think we're not going to come to an understanding on the giants. So again, these are teams that could get better, but my argument for the giants is based on two things. I don't think Daniel Jones is bad. And I think they are doing a major improvement as far as coaching is concerned. Yeah. So yeah. just offensively, they'll be more aggressive downfield with day ball, which I think will be good for, for um, Daniel Jones. They'll, uh, include him in the running attack a little bit more, which Daniel Jones is the sneakiest of sneaky athletes. And he also trips on wide open runs sometimes. But I think that he has, his, the perception of him is impacted in large part because he came into a situation that was not good. Um, he's being coached by coaches that I don't really think are all that good. And he has a fumble issue, which will make you really bad. I feel like if you, if he can control that, which is a big if, he like consistently makes good decisions, I believe, and is accurate also. So we'll see how that all goes. And they, and they're like talented around him. Uh, uh, Thomas, the tackle, is playing a lot better. And yeah. Tony, I love Kadarius Tony. If he can be healthy, he's explosive as hell. Opposite Galladay is is impressive. And uh, Wink Martindale is taking yeah. over the defense. That's a big one. That's that's totally fair. That to me is the reason why that gives me some hope is they can't play straight up. They aren't good enough. They play straight up. They're going to lose. If you know Wink Martindale, you know that his, his scheme, and I made a mistake of calling it a scheme before or a strategy. It's not, not that much thought put into it. Get after their ass It's Wink Martindale's general philosophy. If they, if, they're running the ball too much, blitz them. If they're doing three-step, blitz them. they're doing seven-step, blitz them. That's all he wants to do is zero blitz, which is aggressive as hell. And the reason why I like that is it's high variance. And that's what you want when you don't have a lot of talent. If you want high variance, yes, you put their secondary in zero coverage, they're going to give up some big plays every now and then. They're also going to cause some sack fumbles, some panic um, interceptions. And I think that sometimes that's going to work out for them and that's going to give them an opportunity. If Daniel Jones takes a a little bit of a step, which I think he can't be any worse or the situation couldn't be any worse than it was last year with the decision-making. I think that is the argument for them being better and being in the NFC East. So again, I'm not saying all three of these teams would be better, but those are the teams that I looked at and thought there's a path to it. Mm. Their teams like the one, Bears. one 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 follow
1: up question on the Giants. You still think they're going to be the fourth place team in the NFC
0: East? <sighs> That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, they got two good tackles, offensive tackles, man. Like, what more do you want from your quarterback? I mean, I think I assume Evan Neal is going to be good. Two good tackles, two good receivers, <sighs> and the what? It's between them and Washington for the bottom. Yeah, of the nation. yeah, Washington is Wentz, I feel like Wentz is very much like Daniel Jones in that there's some really tremendous athleticism and plays combined with some really low lows. I, I would fall back on institutional stability as my choice, but these two institutions are neither are stable i'm gonna go on this <laughs> limb and stick with my giants i'll say okay the, i mean i have no reason other than uh I, I don't know that's just it what about risers so i mean i think
1: okay well can i give you one riser for 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 before we sure. get there just really quick because i would actually love i have been this is new institutional stability yeah they've never been good but i feel in love with them this off season. nope
0: No, don't do it. Don't you, you, you got infected with the hard knocks, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Like I I saw Dan Campbell, his coaching staff. He, he did his coaching staff the way that we're doing with doing this podcast. He was like, I want to hang out and work with my friends. I love it. And, and, and it totally got me. And then, you know, okay, here's, here's my pitch for it is that I like DeAndre Swift. I like Hawkinson. Chark, Amon, Ra are all solid players. And the thing about Goff is we've actually seen him behind good offensive lines be somewhat competent and they have a good offensive line. So I'm not saying they're going to be like good per se, but like I would be less shocked if they improved in a division that I don't think is is very good. Well, first, I'm going to take, app-
0: take this opportunity to to um, beat this dead horse argument that I won a while ago. Jared Golf, more evidence to situation matters more than player. Um, yeah, I watched the first episode of Hard Knocks and I felt a tingle for Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn and that whole team, and then I stopped watching because I I'll be damned if you're gonna suck me into rooting for the the Lions this year. Um, I really have high hopes for Jeff Akuta because talk about my draft analysis. I can point to Lamar Jackson that year. I said he was the best quarterback in the draft. That's good draft analysis. I said, Jeff Okuda, I thought could be a hall of famer. That's bad draft analysis. So we all just gassing out here, but I have hoped that he will get healthy and bounce back and play. Well, soul another one, I, another bad draft decision by me. He's been great, but I said, you should draft him before Jamar chase, which I feel I can still defend that. Um, It's the real tough defense. I don't have confidence in it. I'll back off it quick, but they just, they still don't have enough players. Um, I could see them getting better. So would they have three wins last year or four? Something like that. So yeah, they could have five or six, but it still doesn't feel like they're, I mean, I guess, yeah, they fall in this category. We'll include them there let's go
1: what about let's go i won one argument <laughs> you won one we're, we're tied <laughs>
0: all right well here we go Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Um, Bengals were good last year. Um, May not be that good this year. I got Bengals, Raiders, Pets, Titans. Any of them you agree with me or disagree? Um, I
1: agree with you on all of them except for the Bengals. Yeah. And the reason is I... I think Joe Burrow is phenomenal and they got two number they got two number ones on offense like I know there will be some defensive aggression like at how, how hot they got at the end of the season but there's only so long they're going to be able to keep T Higgins and Jamar Chase and like I watched Jamar Chase and he might not statistically be the best receiver in the league like Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson It's like the first guy since Randy where I'm like, how do you stop?
0: Yeah, well, the thing about Randy and Jamar, when I watch Jamar Chase, I don't think he, I don't see him as. Yeah, a different type of player. You know, like when you saw Randy Moss, I mean, even if you watch Justin Jefferson, like I feel like you can watch Justin Jefferson. Like, how could anybody guard him? Tyreek Hill, like guys like that. I don't feel that way when I watch Jamar Chase, but damn, if he don't make plays every week all the time and he's special. So yeah, and they're gonna protect him. I think that is obviously the only one on this list worth talking about. The Pats yeah. take a step back because they're trying to implement a zone rushing scheme with offensive linemen that are not zone blockers and too big and clumsy. Their defense has lost a couple players in there in a division with the Dolphins, who I think could be better, and obviously the Bills. So that's that's that. The Titans, I feel like we don't need to talk about why they're gonna why they could regress because it's pretty obvious they lost a number one receiver. They weren't that good last year, but they still had the number one seed in AFC. Their secondary is, well, they got safeties, but they don't got corners. They got a good pass rush. And I don't know, maybe their hope is being that bad division. So, and the Raiders, yeah, they can't guard anybody. They're going to try to transition from cover three to a more flexible, modern defense. And that could be trouble in that group of death. That's that. The Bengals is the only thing worth talking about. And I fully admit that this was a bit of a hot take to give us something to talk about. But I do think that we are swayed by what we saw at the end of last season. And I thought that they were really impressive uh, in that Super Bowl run and were a couple players from winning the Super Bowl. But I don't think they were that good. So I think that they will regress some. But you're right. When you have a quarterback as good as Joe Burrow and they're going to start protecting him, it's hard for me to to stand by this. I think what I, the point it, it comes down to institutional stability, I think is where I is how I can make this argument. The bangles are the bangles, man. Like they are not a team that has historically had uh, a stable organization held on. They always hold on to their players because it's cheaper to hold on to players than it is to go get new players. They are not holding on to players because they're great draft picks. They are a, uh, Historically frugal organization, I guess is a nice way to put it. They did put some money into the offensive line this year. So things could be changing, but last year felt a bit anomalous. They took advantage of a beat up Ravens and we'll see. Maybe Joe Burrow will turn it. Maybe Joe Burrow is the guy. There you go. You can use him as your is, argument. He's
1: the guy. This, I, I, I'm, I'm not good on the spot, and you put me on the spot. And I, I was
0: thinking that as you're talking like Joe Burrow being good on the Bengals. Yeah. He's my guy. He's your guy. He is the the guy who you can drop on the team. And, I mean, he he got injured the first year, right? So he got some time. He was good before he got hurt, though. Yeah. He was a solid rookie quarterback. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really love my Bengals pick, but I feel like that's the one that I will put money on if I was betting because I feel like the odds on the Bengals, my guess is. I'm not a gambler. Maybe we should add a segment sometime. You gamble? (laughs) Somebody could teach me how to gamble. Not well. I don't know. Okay. Well, I just, I don't know what the numbers mean and the rules. Like I don't really can go over yeah, that. Okay. At some point, um, who do you got for yeah. the team that was good? That will stink. The
1: one that I have is the Cardinals and we should, and, and the reason is, is like, I think Kyler Murray is really good. Um, I think the off season was a complete poop show, whether it was extending Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Kyler's contract, giving up a ton of draft capital for Hollywood Brown. Yeah, so um DeAndre Hopkins it. getting suspended. And DeAndre Hopkins looking like not cooked, but looked yeah. like looking like he was a different player last season. And the timing of this is is weird. He's going to miss six games. Kyler has struggled in the second half of seasons in the past. Um and the division's really good and like I guess I just wouldn't be shocked if we looked up and it's November and they've depended on a lot of injury prone players and they're having a really down season. Like that, that's mine. That's the obvious one for me. Yeah.
0: I think that's, um, yeah, it's impossible to argue against like the the argument for them. I mean, they're, they got the Rams division with the, with, uh, the 49ers also, they'll probably beat up on the Seahawks. Yeah. 11 wins is what they had last year. Them repeating that seems unlikely, but Kyler is going to have to do something special. Um, they like are surprisingly, if I remember correctly, I have to look up the numbers. I'm right. But I thought they were like surprisingly like good on defense, given that they missed on a couple of recent draft picks. So when we think about the Cardinals, we think a bunch about like Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, his struggles and, and that offense and how they were up and down. Like you mentioned, Deandre Hopkins was not playing well and then got popped for PDs, which like those things combined suggest, ahead, that, suggest that maybe he was reaching for something to fix the fact that he ain't got it no more. I don't know. But yeah, that is not what would give me confidence in them. Vance Joseph, Vance Joseph and that defense mm. would give me confidence. We don't talk about the Cardinals as one of those really good defenses because all the interesting people are on the other side of the ball, which I don't know. I, I might disagree with that also. They got that I got a couple like tweener linebackers that are pretty interesting. But anyway, the point is that defense was really, really good last year and doesn't get um, included in the like good defense conversation. And I think, you know, this, that defense is more fickle. So maybe it'll regress back. Uh, But it was like a top five defense by EPA last year. And that is a reason to, believe in them not falling maybe, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, I should add them to my list of potential floppers. You're on a roll. Let's go. Oh, two wins.
1: I mean, I will I will say good it is a, it is a totally fair point about the Cardinals defense and they actually have they have guys who pop to like regular fans too. like, yeah, whether it's the Buddha Bakers is the Collins is like they have they have the, the freak athlete things when you see him play defense. You're like, oh my God, that guy's yeah. he's big.
0: He's playing a position. Isaiah he's Simmons, like uh, Micah Parsons, is what a lot of people thought Isaiah Simmons was going to be. Yeah, or maybe he was on the other end because I guess Micah Parsons is. Yeah, Micah, I was going to say he's like between. He's a linebacker for um, the Cowboys. I was going to say that Micah Parsons is somewhere between a linebacker and a rush in, but he also has the athleticism to play out on the edge. There's just one play that he had against the giants that I can't get out of my mind where he was out in man coverage and switched um, off of his guy onto a receiver running and broke up the pass. So like he's special, but anyway, Isaiah Simmons has Micah Parsons athleticism, but has not had his production. And uh, I don't know, I guess Vance Joseph de- deserves a lot of credit for making that defense into something because they're not a whole lot of... I mean, I guess they got a a, a J.J. Watt that's occasionally healthy. (laughs) He was good before he got hurt last year. Yeah, I know. That's why I said it's occasionally healthy. Yeah, J.J. Watt really good when J.J. Watt is on the field. So, I don't know. We'll see. But I think that you're on a roll. I would agree with you that we would add that uh, to the list. Um... There's a couple other things that I had on my mind that were floating around. One is Tom Brady, generally, and the other one is my man, University of Maryland's own Francis TFO. Go Terps! So, where you want to go? I'll leave it up to you, since you are on a winning streak, to give me some direction.
1: Let's do let's do a couple minutes on Francis. Oh, I love it. Uh, on our guy. On our guy. So
0: PG County's own Francis Tiafa. That, uh, that is very true. Big foe is what I call him because I saw Coco golf tweet it once. And now I believe it to be his nickname and we're on a first name basis. But you taught me a bunch about uh, Francis this morning, about his history and his and his path to, to the spot that he's at now, which I found incredibly interesting. And I was emotional, like watching him because I'm old and did you ever have you ever been someone who, like, would have tears of joy or would be moved to something emotionally enough that you could, like, feel yourself welling up?
1: Honestly, like, I think I'm too uh, repressed emotionally <laughs> from 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 bullying to be a crier yeah. as, as, as a young man. But I get the I get the emotional state of it. Like I, I feel like extreme pride and happiness with thir- certain yeah. things, and that's what I felt with Francis. Yeah, I mean, someone
0: who's like it caught me off it's, guard. It's just really be- cool because I never was that guy, and I didn't actually shed a tear because, like you, I'm, I've been like ruined by like the toxic masculinity of our culture that tells us what to do. Even now, as a like semi secure thirty nine year old adult, I was watching him play and i could feel it welling up and i was like i am going to be crying huh? you know b- I'm gonna cry <laughs> and 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 fought it down but i could just say that i like emotionally it was to see somebody feel like that and i i mean i i'd heard of him before i'd seen him play before but i don't care about him but in that moment i cared so much about him and his family and his path which I teed you up to tell us about it, but you really yeah. buffed me. Sorry. So, yeah, I mean, Francis's
1: path is interesting. Like, people in the United States look at tennis as a country club sport, and rightfully so in a lot of places. Like, most kids, you got to go to academy and pay a lot of money to be really good. Um, Francis, his family's from Sierra Leone. His father ended up in College Park, Maryland, and was a construction worker helping to build the tennis center where Francis ended up training. He worked, his father worked so hard that hired him as a custodian. Francis actually lived in the tennis center as a little kid when his dad was a the custodian there multiple nights a week, picked up used rackets that were left behind, joined programs, was partially self-taught and ended up as like, you know, one of the top two juniors in the world, which is amazing. Uh, you know, a bit of like self-taught technique too, despite the training he received from this from this facility. And the thing that's, you know, that story alone is, actually the American dream, not, in a, not even in a cheesy way. It's amazing that he, he did this on, you know, and, and made himself this world-class athlete. But Francis was a huge prodigy in this area when he was 16, and 17 years old and he turned pro and yeah, he ended up in the top 30 in the world before this, but like he was sort of in this middle tier that left him in the wilderness and to see someone figure out the conditioning, adjust his forehand and then, on the biggest stage at the U S open beat Rafael Nadal beat, you know, I think for most people, the consensus greatest player in the history of the sport who hadn't lost in a major this year, it, it was emotional, both for the story and also the hard work of the seven years since he's been a pro. Cause like, you probably know this, like Dominique, then this is like before you were professional, You were probably like the best player on every team you're on and you're treated a certain way and, and like given particular coaching a certain way because you were a superstar. And then there are points when you're a pro where you're in the wilderness and you're alone and you're not the star anymore to see, to to see him like overcome everything he came through to become a pro. And then the six years he's been a pro to finally have this breakthrough. I was, I mean, I was emotional too. I mean, I'm in the bag. Francis I've rooted for, for a long time, but like,
0: I thought it was sick. So this is one of the many reasons, not just that you're a good friend and a smart um, sports person to talk about these things with, is you watch all the sports and know about all the sports deeply. And so I, this morning, we all on all the the ESPN shows, we all had to talk a little bit about Tiafo and we don't do tennis so it was real weird but we were really lucky on debatable to have you and we're lucky to have you here because you actually know what you're talking about you're not going to bog us down with all the technical stuff that you would text to me that i would not repeat because i'm not going to pretend like i know it but uh it's a great value to have it but you did say one thing that caught my attention uh that he is the american dream and I don't know. It just kind of feels like maybe it was cheap. It was cheesy. I'm sorry. I mean I got, I got excited yeah, about it. I, I I looked it up, the like social mobility index. Uh and I'm looking for America, guys. I'm looking, looking, looking. We're down here. I can't find us. But anyway, you're right. It is it is the American dream that we are sold but francis tiafo is overcoming the realities of his situation which is really cool and i would hate for him to be bogged down with a bad coach and have his career ruined so nice to have some player empowerment so what we got left tom brady we're gonna do some tom brady talk let's do it let's do it is he gonna be good this year are they gonna be good this year
1: i'm really happy you said that like this is weird. I I, I don't even want to. I you know, there's there's tabloid speculation. There is him leaving training camp and him showing up with like you know crazy Ken doll hair. But beyond that, like Tom Brady, you know, is at this point. I don't want to do the max. I don't want to max Kellerman and <laughs> yeah. say he's going to fall off a cliff. But I do think he's much more situationally dependent at this point. Going, you you rewon the argument. Yes. <laughs> you rewon the argument here where that we've gone back and forth with. Tom Brady, his offensive line is wrecked. And if he gets pressured up the middle, I'm not saying he's going to suck because he's Tom Brady. He's not going to suck, but he might not be like a world beating quarterback if he's getting, you know, because he's not going to hold on to the ball and take hits. Like if he's getting pressured up the middle, he's not going to be the Tom Brady of the last couple
0: of years. I mean, the the pushback, I think that um, a lot of people are on that page with you. And I am also on that page that the the offensive line is going to be an issue and the pushback i could make is that the offensive line is not as important to tom brady as the receivers are yeah because in um new england he had offensive line towards the end when things got bad he had offensive line but he didn't have receivers or pass catchers in general that could get open The reason I don't know where I stand on this, but the reason the argument against it, you made the the very obvious and cogent argument argument for why he might regress or just be bad. But argument for him is he's seen it all. He's a master decision maker and he they will be less effective and explosive offensively because he's going to throw the ball away a lot more. But they are really talented on the other side of the ball. And uh, if they can play good defense and keep them close, Tom Brady at the end of games with the ball in his hands uh, in a close game is something that you would like. And they're going to have a lot of three and outs because he's going to get pressured and throw the ball away, and then they're going to be behind the sticks. But if you can get him the ball in a situation with receivers, because that's, that's one spot where they are not thin. They got receivers, they got pass catchers. You want to include the tight ends and, and uh, Lenny Fournette out of the backfield. So that's the argument. The defense is going to be good. The middle pressure, they're going to find ways to work around it, play action and otherwise. And Tom Brady is smart enough. What Tom Brady needs is people that can get open more than he needs protection. Well, and so I had a question about that too, for you, you know, Julio
1: Jones signed there with, like, very little fanfare right. this offseason. And I, I, and part of that is a stopgap until Chris Godwin's fully right. healthy. I, I totally understand mm-hmm. that, that his role's there. But Julio's never really been bad. He's just been injured. Right. And, like, when you give, you know, I think of this. We you we play mad and you put Julio Jones on Tom Brady's team. Is there any chance he's just going to be awesome again? And cuz he's not that old. Yeah. I think he's like 30 I I think he's 34. You know, but
0: like that's a good question. So I think first I want to think about what 34-year-old receivers there are who've had Success. 33 apologies. Yeah. So like receivers in that range that have success and maybe he's a part of this new aging athlete thing that some of them don't age, but um he also, he wasn't guile guy. He's not win with wit mm-hmm. Julio, bigger, faster, stronger, quicker. So if he loses, I mean, he's not going to lose the bigger, but if he loses the faster and the quicker, then, I mean, I guess he can still make uh, contested jump balls and things like that. But yeah, I, I'm I'm reluctant to doubt Julio Jones. He's not running 4-3 anymore, that's for sure. So do you think Julio Jones can have a great year running 4-6, let's say, worst case scenario? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm with the, you.
1: The, the thing that I look at, I, I, I actually just pulled up the list of 33 year old receiving seasons and some of them we can toss out. Like, first of all, Jerry, yeah. Rice, you bleeping freak, Eighteen
0: I'm sure I probably told you my Jerry Rice story. When, when I was in Denver, I got drafted there as a rookie. Um, I loved Jerry Rice as a kid, Jerry Rice and Barry Sanders, mm-hmm. my favorite players, they signed Jerry Rice. And um, I had to practice against Jerry Rice, the goat, my favorite guy gave him the business. I don't give a Let's damn go. he was 40 years old. I was working his old ass in practice. And then he uh, instead of getting cut, he retired. But anyway, he was a hell of a nice guy. And he used to go to the club with us. Back then I was 05. We were still wearing baggy stuff. Oh, man. Jerry, Jerry was either ahead of his time or behind his time. He, frankly he dresses back then. He dressed a lot. He dressed a lot like Drake does now where it was like a silky shirt, three buttons open with a chain and some tight jeans. We was all in there in like big baggy jeans, and Jerry came with us to the club and then got on a plane to go see his daughter graduate from college. It was a weird, weird dynamic to have that's great. gamer on our team, but he was great. Anyway, I forgot what you're talking about, but you brought up very
1: uh, oh 34 34- No, that was that was that was much better than anything I had to say about best 33-year-old receiver seasons. The only one I would comp it to though is, is Terrell Owens in 2006 with oh, the Cowboys. Gosh.
0: You think Terrell still, I mean that's you think can still offer a team some? He's still out here trying to convince us that he can.
1: No, no, I'm just saying that like, when he was 33 years old. You know, 1180 yards, solid season, 10 plus touchdowns for and that's for after the Cowboys. It, and like,
0: he broke his foot in that Super Bowl or before that Super Bowl?
1: Broke his leg. Broke his leg in that Super Bowl with the Eagles. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I think Julio he's similar. a, he's a similar
0: guy. type of yeah. player, too. There are not very many people like uh, that you could say are similar to Julio. Like, I guess Megatron um, is a even crazier version of that. But Terrell Owens was also really big and really fast Um, practice. I mean, I played against Terrell Owens a couple times, but one thing that I remember is practicing uh, when I was with the Broncos, we did a joint practice with the Cowboys. Um, And we were doing one-on-ones and normally you try to match up with your one-on-ones because champ's on that team. Yeah. Champion matchup in the one on ones, and I had to go against To. And I mean, I didn't fare so well. Didn't fare so well, but I played well against him in the game when we played against the Eagles, which I'm sure you don't care about. Um, the I had I, I talked to Bill Barnwell this morning. I was doing his podcast to promote this great podcast, and the Jerry Rice story made me think about a story that I told on there that was about um, watching film with Ed Reed. And he asked me straightforward what was like the biggest takeaway that I learned when I started watching with Ed Reed. And I think that it was the first time that I started to view the game or I tried to view the game through the eyes of the quarterback. Instead of watching and looking for tendencies of the offense only, I was aware of what we were showing the quarterback and how that really affected the decisions that that the opponent was making. And it really change things for me as far as like preparing for games and that like watching film i wish somebody would have taught me that a long time ago but uh, how how rare is that on the on the defensive side of the ball i mean obviously
1: Reed's a rare player to watch how rare, how rare is it to like no and just have someone who can like have a teammate who cannot like explain to you he's the only what one. other teams are doing. He's
0: the only one. That's well, I no, no. That can.
1: Because half physical, half mental, and like I don't.
0: The only one that can. I don't think he's the only one that can. Um, I think a lot of guys understand that stuff too. But it was like the way that I watched film before was I would watch for hours and hours and like watch for split. Formation, down and distance, field position, weather conditions, motions and shifts um, to try to figure out tendencies. And then in the game, be like, all right, third and six, midfield, tight splits. They like to run crossers or they like to run um, corners with a flat underneath, which is like a smash concept. Yeah. And I would narrow it down to those two things which is not actually helpful because they are opposing things. Like if I'm in man coverage and they run a crossing route, I want to be inside to get to it. If they run corner route or out, I want to be outside to protect against it. So the difference with watching with Ed is Ed would be aware of what we were showing. And I would never think about that because I'm too busy, like trying to figure out, what, what they're, they're doing. Really doing and yeah. the quarterback is making his decision. So like if we're rolled down in a certain direction, then they know that we're blitzing. And then I know that they're going to do a hot route or quick. That's not something I would think of before, but if we're not showing it, if we're, we stayed in our good disguise, I would know that they don't know. So the idea, the, the crossers is a good example. So they might, people get teams get tight like that in order to do crossers or in order to burst out. And those things are opposite. So if they get in that formation and they hard count us and our safety rolls down, it looks like man coverage. I'm like, all right, they're probably going to do the crosses. And that's the type of, that's just like one example of it. I told the story on Barnwell about how we tricked uh, Peyton Manning because uh, he, we knew what, he knew what we were doing and we knew that he knew what we were doing. And so it's, really helpful to have somebody like that. We did it to Aaron Rodgers later with, um, uh, with a similar sort of thing. And shout out to, uh, to you
1: for this one, because that, that I, I can't believe I'm going to give you a compliment here, but that clips on YouTube and you look real selfless in that play with Peyton Manning. Cause you, you make yourself look like you're getting cooked yeah. so that Ed Reed can get the interception on that. It wasn't that. Um, so
0: it was, they ran to the come back to play before and We knew that if they hurried up to the line, they like to repeat plays. And Mm -hmm. uh, they did that. And we said we were going to repeat our play, too. They saw us signaling that. And so I was sitting on the comeback. So if he'd have thrown the comeback, I'd have got it. And then Ed got over top. So Peyton and, um, and Reggie are smart enough to know that if I sit on the comeback, convert it to the go. And they did. And because before that play happened, I was like, I'm getting a pick six right here. Yeah, but nope, they converted and it and got it. Um,
1: And for, for the viewers, if you want to watch this, uh, this is on YouTube as Bill Belichick praises Ed uh, Reed, quote unquote, the best play I've ever seen a free safety yeah. make.
0: At the snap of the ball, it starts sprinting left and Peyton's looking directly at him to hold him in the middle. And then as soon as Peyton snaps to my side, Ed snaps and goes back around to get the interception. Then Reggie throws his hand up to run by me. And it is one of the most impressive plays you will ever see um is there anything else on the Tom Brady conversation i we talked about earlier how he's trying to motivate his offensive linemen by by telling them how bad people are talking about him like that to me doesn't
1: make sense you know the the, the last thing i'd put in the Tom Brady conversation is that this is really going to test the limits of when we can ever question him because if he continues to succeed and like the situation continues to crumble like i'm really not going to know what to think Because at some point there has to be degradation and and regression, and I don't understand how it can it can he can't can't
0: keep doing this. (laughs) You would think so, or you would think he couldn't. All right, yeah. I've this is my first podcast, like I haven't been watching the clock. Um, I don't know how to end the show. I don't know what else to talk about. Jordan Love got it real good, huh? That guy's yeah, just getting paid to chill. You think he's good? No, probably not. (laughs) I mean, he's in a good situation. And so that, I mean, the quarterback in front of him is okay. He's not better than Aaron Rodgers. So he could yeah. still say, he might be able to negotiate himself a long-term extension somewhere off the strength of his college tape alone, maybe. No?
1: I think if he was good, we'd probably
0: know by now. Yeah, you're probably right. But all right, well. I, I think we did pretty good.
1: I think it was pretty good. Pretty good first pass. The
0: pod. best thing about it is, I thought it was pretty good. You know, I'm hard on myself, Mm -hmm. but I also know it's going to get better. So the people who are here now, congratulations. When this is the best podcast, the best show in the history of entertainment, you can be like, I was there the very first time. All right. So download, turn on your, your notifications, rate review, five stars, you know, all that stuff. Thank you to Christina Buswell, Adi Khan, Sarah Abbott, And you, my man, Charlie Kravitz. And also, now twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes reacting to the biggest games from the weekend. Every Tuesday, she'll highlight the winners and losers from the weekend with Dominique Foxworth. Later in the week, she'll be joined by different experts, lesser experts, to preview the most intriguing games. That's the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all get on the Twitters at Foxworth24. Tell me how to get better and also tell me this was good because I know it was. Bye. This is the Dominique Foxworth show.